Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Always good to be here every year, um, or not every year, but the last few years. Anyway, it's been so good to come here and uh, share thoughts about the kingdom of God and the, the reality we have in, in Jesus now. And um, So I'm looking forward to it. I want to share some thoughts this morning about... Um, this whole concept of the new creation. I want to share some thoughts about that. And um, one of the things that uh, is really important, I think, to see is that what we're going to be talking about in the ne- this next few minutes um, is more than information, more than just information. <clears throat> and it's, it's, a, it's, crucial, it's crucial that we hear... Um, Jesus said, take heed how you hear, how you hear. And so, because what we're speaking are things from the Spirit. His words are spirit and they are life. It's not just a a mental thing. Um, The Scripture says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what God has done. And only by the Spirit can we know the thoughts of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says. We can only know the thoughts of God by the Spirit of God. So, in fact, our natural man thoughts are not good enough to, to comprehend this. Um, to the natural man, these things are foolishness. But to the spiritual, it makes sense. It's wisdom from above. So it's, it's crucial that we hear with the ears of the Spirit. So one of the keys to hearing, before we get into what we're going to talk about, one of the keys to hearing is humility. Uh, Jesus said that if you said you were blind, then you shall see. So it's really a key to, to, to approach God with this humility, this, this thought that I don't know anything like I should know it. You know, even the Apostle Paul said that. The Apostle Paul said, if a man thinks he knows anything, let him know this. He doesn't know anything like he ought to know it. I like that. If, the Apostle Paul said, if a man thinks he knows everything, just tell him he doesn't know anything like he needs to know it. So, that's the Apostle Paul. So we can come, we can approach God with this humility and say, yes, I see a lot, but I, I still am, am blind to so much more because there is so much more. So Jesus said, if you say you are blind, then you shall see. The Pharisees said, we see, we see. And Jesus said, and therefore you shall remain blind. So it's very important to have this humility, this approach to God, this total dependency on the Spirit of God to teach us so that we can hear from the Lord Himself and not from a man, not from our, from our own natural minds trying to reason things out. But the Spirit opens our eyes and opens our understanding to things that are beyond our years, beyond our education, beyond everything, because this is 
wisdom from above. In the book of Job, Elihu, the prophet Elihu spoke to all of Job's friends who were condemning Job, and, and Elihu said, I listened to all you guys argue with Job about what he should be doing and not doing, and Elihu says, but you know, there's a spirit in man, and inspiration from the Almighty gives him understanding beyond his years. <clears throat> Elihu said, I'm young, I'm young, and you guys are old, old ancients and elders, and I thought you would have the answers for Job. But young Elihu said, but there's a spirit in man, and inspiration from the Almighty or from the Holy Spirit gives a young man understanding beyond his years. And he spoke that, and Elihu said, I, I, I'm like new wine about to burst. I've got to speak what, I, what God has shown me. So I just say all this to prepare us to hear by the Spirit what God would say to you today because it's beyond the natural man's thinking. It is, it, it, if you try to approach it in the natural, you will say, this is, this is foolishness. Or you'll say, uh, I, I, I don't get this. But if you allow the Spirit to open your eyes to what the Apostle Paul and the Apostles and what Jesus himself taught, you'll go, oh my gosh. You'll say, and it'll be joy, unspeakable and full of glory because uh, your eyes will be opened, the veil will be removed, and you'll see things that maybe you haven't seen before, and it'll be life to you. Life will be imparted, not just information, but life, for his words are spirit, and they are life. And they shall remain with you and bear much fruit. Awesome. Okay, so... Having said that, um, the one thing that um, I, I share this with, with people, I wrote a little blog on this, in fact, on my website, you could read, read it on the website, but I believe approaching the scriptures, there are three things that we need to have in our thinking to really receive from the scriptures what um, it is saying, what they are saying. And the first thing it, it is simply that Understand and believe that all of Scripture, all of Scripture's main purpose is to reveal Jesus. All of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, Old Covenant, New Covenant. He is hidden in the Old Covenant. He is revealed in the New Covenant. But all of Scripture is to reveal Jesus. If we're using Scripture for any other reason, then we're missing it. And I would just say one more thing. It's also to reveal what Jesus came to do, his work on the earth. What did the manifestation of the Son of God, the coming of the Son of God into the earth and, and leaving the earth, what did that accomplish? What did that circle accomplish coming from the heavens, from the Father, going back to the Father? What did that circle accomplish? What did that work come when God became a man and died and was raised again and ascended? What, what did that accomplish? Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified, meaning him and his work and what he did. So that's the first thing, to, to really approach the Scripture in, in humility, to receive from the Spirit, knowing that the main purpose of the scripture is to reveal the son this allows us to get into the right thinking um, so we can think with the thoughts of god okay second thing the scripture is very important 
the second thing the scripture teaches that is important to have in our thinking is that the scripture is written in such a way where it, it is written from the perspective, from the perspective of two different covenants. Old covenant of law, new covenant of grace. All of scripture is written from one of those two perspectives. Or you could say it this way. All of Scripture is written from two, from the perspective of two trees, the two trees in the garden, either from the perspective of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the perspective of the tree of life. There are two perspectives in the Scripture, and if we don't rightly divide the Scripture, seeing that this is, this is coming from the perspective of the law or this is coming from the perspective of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this is coming from the perspective of grace, this is coming from the perspective of the tree of life. If you don't rightly divide the Scripture, then there'll be confusion. You'll be like Paul says, there are those who are zealous to teach the law, not knowing this one thing, that the law is not for the righteous. They're teaching the wrong tree. So it's very important to, to know that from Scripture too. First, it's all about Jesus, and secondly, that it does come from two perspectives, rightly dividing the Scripture, saying this is no longer applicable in the new covenant of grace, see? And some men are afraid to say that. Some men are afraid to say the Word of God is not applicable, or this, this Word of God is no longer applicable because we're in this new covenant. But don't be afraid to say that, because that's the truth. You know, God told Abraham... God told Abraham to slay Isaac. That was the word of God. The word of God, slay Isaac. Then a second word came from God to Abraham, and he said, do not slay Isaac. Try harmonizing those two scriptures. One is death, one is life. Now, if you obey the second, the last word, you cannot obey the first word. You see that? In the same way, there are two covenants, there are two revelations that are in the Scripture, and you cannot harmonize the two. What men call balance, God calls mixture, and God hates mixture. And the reason why he hates mixture is because the reason that that is written in the Scripture, the reason why he taught to not sow two different seeds in the same row or don't weave two different fabrics in the same cloth as Paul would say, does God care about fabric? Does God care about sowing seeds? No. He's teaching us something because a new thing was coming, and he didn't want us to mix them. So God hates mixture. He doesn't. Men think it's a, it's a noble thing to balance. Let's balance. How do you balance death and life? You can't. How do you balance law and grace? You can't. We have a clear word from the apostle that says you are no longer under law but under grace. You can't balance that. You try to balance that, you, you, ru- you ruin the Scripture, it, and you don't do truth and justice to the Scripture because it's clear something new has come. Even Jesus said, we've heard this so many times, we, we kind of almost tune this out, but listen to this afresh like you've never heard this before. This is really cool. Like, hear this like you've never heard this before. We've heard it a thousand times, but Jesus was trying to communicate this truth, that something great and new was coming, and he knew men would be reluctant to let go of the old. They would want to drag the old into the new and try to harmonize it, balance it, work them both together. After all, it's the Word of God. We can't leave the Word of God. 
We can't dismiss Sinai. We can't dismiss the Word of God. Jesus knew this, so Jesus said, you know, no man takes a shirt that has a hole in it. Hear it for the first time. No man takes a shirt that has a hole in it and takes a new shirt, cuts a hole out of the new shirt so he can patch up the hole in the old shirt. Who does that, Jesus says? Nobody. He says, first of all, it won't work because the new cloth will shrink and pull away, and you just ruined a brand new shirt. So it doesn't work anyway. So who does that? Yet, that's what men do when they try to harmonize an old covenant and a new covenant, a tree of knowledge of good and evil perspective with a tree of life perspective. They end up ruining the new, and it doesn't patch up the old, doesn't fix it. What does Jesus say the answer is? Throw the old shirt away and put on the new shirt. See? Isn't that awesome? And he said the same thing about wine. You know, new wine must be put into new wine skins because we know old wine skins have already stretched and because of the wine previously in the old wineskin fermented and caused gases to push the wineskin out and stretch it and then it hardened in that size. And so you take that old hardened wineskin and pour new wine into that and the gases begin to do the same thing and then it cracks because there's no room to, to move. Jesus said, no man puts new wine into old wineskins. They, they know that's not something you do, because then the old wine skin will crack and the new wine will pour out and no one can enjoy the wine. It's, it's all ruined. Once again, teaching that you cannot combine the old and the new. So that's the second thing. We, as approaching the Scripture, it's all about Jesus and there are two perspectives in the scripture. Let the spirit rightly divide the scripture so you so you can be bold. Be bold to 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 stand with this with these truths and and speak boldly that that this is no longer applicable. This is applicable. Paul said that in, in a good example in Romans, he said quoting Moses. Quoting Moses in Romans chapter 9 and 10, Paul says that Moses, standing before the people after reading the blessings and the cursings of the law, t- said to the people, do not say, now that you've heard the law, do not say, who shall ascend to the heavens to get the law that we might do it? Or who shall descend to the depths of the sea to get God's commandments that we might obey them? In other words, you have no excuse. Don't tell me you... You don't know what God demands of you. Don't tell me you don't know what to do under this covenant of law. Don't, don't tell me who shall go to the heavens and get them or to the depths of the sea and find them. They are here. Now, as God's man, I've spoken them to you, Moses says. And then he said this. He says, they are in you to do it. So do it. Okay. Now, Paul takes that word from Moses, that Moses spoke to the people of Israel under the covenant of law. And Paul says that the righteousness by faith no longer speaks like that. Wow. He just wrote off Moses. 
He just wrote off Moses. Here's Moses at the inauguration of the covenant of law. And Paul, the apostle Paul, who, by the way, remember this, who was commissioned by Jesus himself to explain his gospel. Remember that. Never forget that. The apostle Paul was commissioned as well as all the apostles, but especially Paul after the ascension, who did not walk with him in flesh and blood. Paul was commissioned by the ascended Lord to explain his gospel. So here's Paul with all boldness says, now what Moses said here about righteousness, in other words, knowing what the commandments are and doing them to be righteous, Paul says the righteousness, which is by faith, no longer speaks like that. And then he says, rewording the words of Moses, rewording the words of God. Paul says, this is how it speaks now. He says, do not say who shall ascend to the heavens. That is, that is, let me, let me change what Moses said here, Paul. Paul's going to change it. That is, who, I mean, that is, don't say who shall bring, bring Christ down. And do not say who shall go to the depths of the sea or the earth. That is, let me change that, Paul said. That is, do not say who shall bring Christ up from the dead. For the word that we preach to you of this Christ is not given to you that you might do. For this word that we have preached to you of this Christ is in you and in your heart and in your mouth. For what purpose? That if you would believe in your heart unto righteousness and confession unto salvation, you'll see what he has done. The new covenant no longer speaks like that old covenant. Isn't that awesome? Now, that's a, that's a perfect example of how you have apostolic authority to change the word of God. Not only apostolic authority, you have God telling you through his apostle that he commissioned to explain his gospel. You have God telling you you better change those words I spoke through Moses. See? Isn't that cool? God himself is telling you, change what I said before so you won't miss what I'm doing now. Don't slay Isaac. I just said don't slay Isaac. You see it? Now, see, that's so cool. And when we, when we have that mindset, we can boldly say, that is no, that's no longer applicable under a new covenant of grace just like Paul did of the words of Moses. Okay, so that's the second thing, is seeing that there are two perspectives in the Scripture. The third thing to see when you approach the Scriptures, and that's what I'm going to focus on mainly this morning, this third thing. The first two things are awesome. You could teach for hours and days on those first two things. But I want to focus on this third thing this morning. The third thing to have in mind when approaching the Scripture is to know that it is imperative that we begin to think in terms of the visible and the invisible, the seen and the unseen. It's crucial to begin to think like God thinks 
to hear what God is saying through the Scriptures. And the apostle was very clear about how it's so important to look not at that which is seen, but at that which is unseen. The seen is temporary, Paul said, but the unseen is eternal. This is one of the, this is one of the things that most believers miss. Most believers live in the world of the seen primarily. And if someone's acting good, they must be good. If they're acting bad, they must be bad. Or just the whole concept of another living within you is an unseen reality that most believers do not consciously enjoy. Enjoy and relish in the reality of another living within that cannot be seen with natural eyes. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. See, these are not just nice phrases that the early church used. This was their their meat and their drink. This was, this was the essence of everything. For in seeing the invisible, we see that he is always with us, always in us, always in us. When he ascended from the earth, he didn't ascend right away after the resurrection. For 40 days, he would appear in their midst and disappear. He would appear on roads as they were walking and talk with them and disappear. He would appear at sunset as they were praying and talk with them and disappear. For 40 days, he would appear and disappear, appear and disappear. He was training them to know I am always with you, whether you see me with your natural eyes or not. He was preparing them. They had been with him for three and a half years. They had not been used to not being around him. This was, this was dramatic. The crucifixion took him away from them. The resurrection restored all their hope and then some because it was like, oh my God, this is all true. This is all happening. But even then, they needed some help And look how gentle God is. For 40 days before he ascended, he would appear and disappear, appear and disappear, preparing them for the time when he would ascend. And they would no longer see see him with their earth eyes, but then they would know he is with me. He is in me. He speaks through me. I live by him now. The invisible is crucial the invisible is crucial just to have to have that focus because you start thinking along the track of God, along his thoughts when you think in terms of Jesus, Jesus central, Jesus centric, old covenant, new covenant, rightly dividing the scripture, two trees, and invisible reality. You start thinking, you get those pieces in place, those piece, those three pieces in place, the Scripture 
beginning with the humility first, you know, that, Lord, teach me, show me. You get those four things in place, and there's no limit to what God will speak to you and speak to me and show us those things. But think about how many people, how many even believers don't have those four things in place. Maybe they're proud about, you know, I've been in church all my life. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I don't, I don't need to hear anything else. I know I've been in the church for 50 years. So that, that's going to be hard for them to hear. Then you have people that really don't see it's all about Jesus. They think it's all about learning principles, learning principles from the Bible so I can apply principles and have a successful life. So they, they miss it. They miss, you know, the whole Jesus central reality, Christ, my life. To live is Christ. To live is not to apply principles in my life. To live is Christ himself. To live is Christ. Christ, my life. See? Whole new way of thinking, different way of thinking. So how many believers don't even see that so that they miss and they, they work very hard on getting information from the Bible so they can live a better life and maybe have success and maybe please God and all those things. And how about the two covenants? Oh, that's the huge problem in the church today, just a mixture of law and grace and all kind of mess. People see themselves in their sin continually guilty continually. They can never measure up. They can never be good enough. God, God feels a million miles away. I mean, so they don't see that, so that they're just like, they're just floundering. And then, of course, the last thing about the invisible reality, that's like, what are you talking about? I mean, I got I to gotta live my life. I got to go to work in the morning. I got to do this. I got to do that. See, no wonder, no wonder the church is a mess, in a mess, and confused in many cases, and and not able to really experience the joy that Jesus came to give us, you know? But I'm, these, these simple things will open our eyes to see and hear and receive more and more from Him. Okay, I'm going to just tell you right out what, instead of hiding the ball to the very end, I'm going to tell you right out. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right out what God did. Now that I've said all those other things, hopefully you'll be able to hear this and not think, no way. This is what God did. God terminated the Adamic race, judged all flesh at the death of Jesus. At the resurrection of Jesus, he began a new race, a new creation from another Adam, from the new Adam, from the last Adam. God sees the work of Christ as profound as it gets. He ended the Adamic race that came from below, from the dust of the earth, and raised a new race that is no longer from below, as Jesus said, but from above. And here's the clincher, and this is what we're going to try to explain this morning. 
He put the new man, the new person, in the body of the old creation. The new person walks through the old body of the former creation. If you can see that, behold, all things have become new. All things. New heart, new soul, new person. But what remains in the body of the former creation. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. So that the excellency of the power expressed through our walk in these mortal bodies is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves. Think about that for a minute. This is huge, huge, huge. The Adamic race has ceased to be from God's perspective. He pictured this in the flood of Noah when he blotted out all flesh. The ark itself, a picture of Christ himself as a man. The wooden boat, a picture of Christ taking them through judgment. The rainbow, a picture of the ascended Christ having finished his work. One door, one door to enter from the old world to the new world. One door. From the old world, that door is Christ. It's the same door that opened to the other reality, the cleansed earth with the rainbow. God painted this beautiful picture of what he was going to do. He would blot out the human race and begin again. But he would leave the new creation inside the body of the old creation temporarily until the body itself will be redeemed. What's that? Yeah, almost. Except the, except the new wineskin is not, some, it's not physical. It's a mindset. Mindset. So the mind renewed... To what God did allows the wine, the life, to flow. But the wrong mindset will hinder that flow. Because now we're in a different dimension so that the body is actually short-circuited by the spirit of life. For the spirit shall put to death the deeds of the body. It actually says body. Isn't that cool? Okay. Not enough Christians think like this. Not enough believers think like this. And it's all, in the, it's all in the apostolic writings. We just don't know what to do with it. You know, we read past it and we go, I've read that all my life. I don't know what it means. Sin in my members. I don't know what that means. Sin in my members. Sin in, you know, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I, mean, I, I don't know. I have some vague notion that you know, flesh is bad, but I don't know. See what I'm saying? The apostles were very clear. The apostles were very clear about this awesome work. In fact, God called it the spiritual circumcision of the flesh. In Colossians, we'll look at that in a minute, Colossians where God actually cut away the body. It says body, body of our flesh. 
not with hands of men. This is by the hand of God. He cut away the body of our flesh so that the inner man could be released. God who raises the dead, we were dead in our flesh, in the uncircumcision of our flesh, Colossians says, we were dead in our sins, in the uncircumcision of our flesh, joined to our flesh, married to our flesh, part of the Adamic race, God who raises the dead, those who are dead, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, God who raises the dead calls into being that which did not exist before. That is the nature of the new covenant. A new creation. Like Galatians says in chapter 6 at the very end, like Walt was doing that series in Galatians and ends it with the grand finale. Having said everything, the only thing that matters is a new creation. If you're a new creation, end of story, period. So, all right, so let's look at some stuff real quick. And So I just wanted, I wanted to go to the, to the meat of what I'm trying to explain this morning, and that is, I'll say it again, that God terminated the old human race, raised a new race after a new Adam, from a new Adam, which is Christ. He left the new man inside the body of the old man. Remember how Paul said the body is dead because of sin? The body's dead because of sin, but the spirit's alive because of righteousness. Remember how Paul said the inner man, I mean, or the outer man is decaying day by day? The, the flesh, we're getting older and older, and the body is decaying day by day, and eventually the body will die. But the inward man is being renewed day by day. You see the two different realities. You see the dichotomy of outer man, inner man. Visible man, invisible man. That's the key. Visible man, invisible man. Okay. Now, let me just say this. Well, let me, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I'm trying to do this in a way where it's not. Keep in mind now, Paul said this thing. You never could have thought about this. Remember how Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Under the old covenant, they didn't even talk about flesh and spirit. Under the old covenant. I mean, think about it. They, didn't ever even talk, they never even talked about it. Under the old covenant, it was natural men in covenant with God, who is spirit, and they did their best to try to obey commandments from God as natural men. There was no concept of a flesh and spirit. God's spirit would come upon a few prophets and kings and priests through the centuries, but there was no joining of the spirit of God to a human being. It's not, it was not possible. The Holy Spirit could not be given until Jesus was glorified. The Spirit could not be given in a regenerative way where God would be joined to men until Jesus was glorified, until He had accomplished the work on the earth and reconciled all sin, all men to God. So this, in the old covenant, the Spirit, yes, would come and rest upon people, but they also, that same Spirit would leave those people. Saul, the Spirit left Saul. The Spirit left Samson. 
David even prayed in Psalm 51, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, because that's what that was under that old covenant. It was not a union of God and men. It was natural men in the flesh trying to do their best to follow God, hearing the words of God through the prophets that the Spirit would rest upon from time to time and speak. That's why the promise of the new covenant is they shall no longer say, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord, because they didn't have God inside them teaching them. As in, the old, as in the new covenant. So the scriptures in Hebrews says they shall no longer say, know the Lord, know the Lord. What does that mean? It means that they used to teach their children and teach the people around them, the prophets, the ones who are anointed of God by the Spirit to teach. They would teach the people about God. Know the Lord, know the Lord. In the morning and as you rise, in the noontime, in the evening when you go to sleep, know the Lord, teach, teach, teach the people about the Lord. They shall no longer say, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord, for they all shall know me. In this new covenant, from the least to the greatest. The greatest is a reference to the prophets and kings and priests who would get the Spirit upon them to know God in a way that the masses could not know Him. And they would teach the people. It was flesh. It was natural man. And the only way God could live with natural men is because He set up this very elaborate system of sacrifice so He could dwell among them in their midst behind a very thick veil if they would just if they would follow the, the rules of bloods, the blood of bulls and lambs and goats and priesthood and temple so God could be in their midst. But that's, that's the closest God could get to them because it was just natural men, flesh. You see that? So in the, in the ripping of the veil was, a, was, a, was an announcement from God to say, I don't have to live behind this veil with, in your midst anymore. I'm coming inside. I'm coming in you. You're coming in me. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was given, they saw fire over their heads briefly. They saw fire, the fire of God, the, the, the Spirit of God visibly and as fire over their heads, and then it went inside and disappeared. It was, the, it was an inauguration, so God allowed a special miracle to show what was happening visibly the fire of God above their heads, and then, and they began to praise the wonderful works of God. You see it? So now everybody who believes this promise, this gift of the Holy Spirit is now given to all who believe on this Jesus that they might be joined to him and live in him and he in them. Totally unlike the old covenant. But the coming of the Spirit inside a human being, did something very, very different than what the Old Covenant had in terms of the Spirit resting upon a king and a priest and a prophet from time to time. This time, this mysterious work of Christ, of crucifixion and resurrection, allowed God to cut away the body of the flesh when the Spirit entered your body. Some people describe it as a load being lifted off my sh shoulders. Some people cry. Some people just have peace. Some people say the trees look different. I've heard that. The leaves look brighter. I have a new joy. Everybody describes it differently. There's no one manifestation that you have to have to confirm you have the Holy Spirit no matter what people may tell you. It's various, various. We're all individuals. 
But when God circumcised your body away from the inner man, and His Spirit touched your dead spirit and flooded you, for He was joined to the Lord as one spirit, Paul said, and flooded you, and that flood of water and life flowed over your soul. And the power of God cut away the inner invisible man from the outer man. You, in that moment, were translated, Paul said, from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. You stepped over. You stepped over. You see, you're not... You're not separated from your body by distance. The new man is separated from the body by dimension. You, the real you, is in a different realm. You're really in the spirit. If you were in the flesh still, unregenerated, uncircumcised in your flesh, you would be in this realm, in the kingdom of this darkness. See, this is awesome. Now, is this awesome? This is, this is not Sunday school teaching, you know, like, you know, let's, let's memorize Bible verses and so we can apply principles to our lives and be better people. This, this is real Christianity, what we're talking about. This is what turned the world upside down. This is what religion fights against because religion loses control when this truth gets out because God is connected directly to every, every believer, the head and the body. The head and the body. So, so you're actually, you and I are actually in a different dimension in the spirit, though we still walk the earth because God in his wisdom left you in your body, in my body, in the body of the old creation. For what purpose? To be a witness. Witness. You shall be my witnesses. Tell them what I did. Tell them where I am. Tell them where you are. Seated with him together in heavenly places. Tell them that you are where I am. Tell them that I am where you are. Tell them that if they would only believe, they would see the glory of God. You know what that means? He said that right before Lazarus, before he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus in that context meant that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. The glory of God in that context is you will see something that only God can do. The glory of why God is God. Lazarus, come forth. You see it? In, in the same way, you and I have been raised from the dead. Paul in Romans, he says, live your life now as one who has died as Christ died once, never to die again. And now you ever live as Christ ever lives on earth. So your belief, your faith now causes you and I to live our life on earth in these bodies of the old creation, of the former creation, as people who have already been raised 
from the dead. Isn't that awesome? When you, when we attend your funeral, that will not be the time you died. You died a long time ago. Your body died, but you, the real you person, died a long time ago. You actually died on the cross, but you didn't actually, you didn't experience your own personal death. Your own personal crucifixion was not experienced until you believed. And when you believed in time and space, that which was already prepared for you was given to you. And in the great mystery of God, these, these deep things of God, these are deep things of God that the, only, the Spirit can show us. In the great mystery of God, when the Spirit touched your spirit, when you were baptized, immersed into Christ, you also were immersed into the history of Jesus as a man. And I can't explain that. But that's why, in God's eyes, the Son gave Himself up by the eternal Spirit, offered Himself up, Hebrews says, by the eternal Spirit, where there is no time and there is no space. And when you believed, that same Spirit, that eternal Spirit, in God's way that we cannot explain, brought you through that, literally, you were crucified with Christ judged and raised with him. Great mystery. Great is the mystery of your godliness. If your godliness has no mystery to it, it's not probably very godly. <laughs> and you're probably, war probably worn out trying to be godly. Because true godliness is full of mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. Okay, what is, what is the mystery of godliness? Paul's, Paul, tell us. Is it learning the principles of the Bible so I can apply them in my life? Paul says this is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. He walked into time and space into our world as a man. For the first time, the Creator stood on the sands of the earth in his bare feet and looked through the pupil of a human eye at the stars he made. It's awesome. First time, God stood on the earth as a man and through the pupil of a human eye saw the stars that he made. For what purpose? It was important that he become as one of us. That he might take upon himself the sin of the world, that we might be with him always. There is a man that sits on the throne of the universe. What does that do to your self-esteem? God so loved the world, so loved you, 
but he took on flesh and blood to be just like you and me. And through his suffering and death and resurrection, elevated us all who believe to be called now the sons and daughters of God. Christ himself, our forerunner. There's a man who sits on the throne of the universe. The lamb who is worthy sits for his work is done. Isn't that awesome? So flesh and spirit was not even talked about in the Old Covenant. It was, this was a whole new reality. He told Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what the world has always known, and that's what, it's, what has always been. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And something new is coming. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must leave this human race and be born again of another race. You must be born from above. How can this be, said Nicodemus? Can a man enter his mother's womb and be born again? What are you talking about? This was the huge, huge thing that God would do. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him. But the next verse, see, a lot of people stop at that verse, and they say, you know, one day when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we'll know all these things that we can't see and understand now. No, the next verse says, but, even says, but, 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 read the but. It says, but, the Spirit has been given that we might know these things now. Isn't that awesome? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For the Spirit has been given. For who can know these thoughts but, but God? And the Spirit has been given to us that we might know the thoughts of God, even the deep things of God. Now, just think about this for a second. In the last hour, we've been sharing these thoughts from the mind of Christ. For we now have the mind of Christ. We're speaking thoughts from the mind of Christ to your mind that is also the mind of Christ receiving. In this last hour, hearing these glorious things, have you been tempted to sin? Have you been tempted to uh, hate people? Have you been tempted to lust? Have you been tempted to be jealous? Have you been tempted to uh, steal from 7-Eleven? Why? Why not? You see God's way? You see God's way? Everybody's saying, well, I, I, you can't just preach grace. You can't just preach Jesus. You can't just preach, you know, all this spiritual stuff. We, got, we need to have some consequences to keep us from sinning. We need to have the law. We need to have some principles to live by. We need to have God's way is not our way. Peter walked out of the boat onto the water to Jesus. That's a perfect picture of the Christian life. 
Peter did not contribute not even 1% to his buoyancy on that water. Not even 1%. He was held up completely by the power of God. And all he was doing was looking at Jesus. And he believed when Jesus said, come, come to me. Jesus was standing on the thing that would destroy Peter. Peter didn't try to figure out how to fight this water or tread water with his toes or how to make it out there to Jesus on the water. He wasn't focused on the water until he was one focused. When he did get focused on the water in the storm, he began to sink. And Jesus was immediately there to lift him up. And what did he say? You didn't study the ocean enough. If you'd have known more about storms and wind, you would know you have to walk a little bit different when the waves get high. No, he said simply, why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? See, it's a perfect picture of the Christian life. The boat is a picture of religion that tries to keep you afloat, you know, religion or man's efforts or man's wisdom. And, you know, the boat is sinking, people. The boat is sinking. But most people will remain in the boat because that's all they understand. That's, look, we cannot walk on water. We've got to make this work. We've got to bail the water out. We've got to work harder. We've got to make this work because we cannot walk on water. Really. It's a perfect picture of the Christian life. Because Jesus calls Peter, come out of the boat, come out of your own wisdom, come out of your own efforts, come out of your own strength, come out of human ingenuity, come to me. And Peter found himself walking on the water. I love that. Jesus was not just hot dogging out there showing off. Everything he did had perfect purpose and was a picture of something awesome. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.